Another big jobs number. A bank bites the dust and is the Fed handcuffed? You picked a great time to be on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Welcome, everybody. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, thank you, Danny. And what a day it was on Friday. Lots of questions, lots of concerns. And I guess we're going to have to start with three letters, SVB. Right, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Essentially, they were out of business. They were forced to close by the FDIC. See, the bank will probably be sold over the weekend. And the thing about that bank that's kind of interesting is they were a source of financing for any number of venture capital firms in Silicon Valley and the rest. And essentially what happened is an old-fashioned run on the bank. Right. And you remember, of course, that in 08 and 09, uh, that happened a lot. You know, remember back in those days, we'd come in on Saturday mornings to do radio shows and we'd have to announce the bank failures. And that went on for a long time, Danny. But this concern is a little different. Their balance sheet is much different than the big banks on how they're financed. Right, and, and they aren't subject to the same level of stress tests that the J.P. Morgans and Wells Fargo's of the world are. So essentially what happened is they had bought a bunch of bonds, and as depositors were moving money out of the firm, whether it's to buy treasury bills or to finance their own offerings, they basically had a, a capital squeeze. So what they had to do is sell bonds at a loss. They had to write that down. In addition, they issued equity to basically raise more capital. But at the same time, on Twitter and everywhere else, people were saying, pull your money. And that got to the point where they basically couldn't meet all of those requests. And the FDIC stepped in on Friday afternoon. Yeah, and they shut the bank down. And over the weekend, as you said, there probably is going to be some type of more movement. And of course, when you hear that, you go, what happens to my money? If you were a customer, well, they're going to, on Monday morning, we're going to get some more information. But very likely, the way this works is the FDIC comes in and then honors all of those deposits as this has happened before. So it's not anything that is new, but it's something that we don't want to make into a domino effect because of what the Fed is doing. And as you know, Derek, I have been pounding on the Federal Reserve for a long time that they're going to keep raising rates until they break something. And boy, oh boy, this might be right at the cliff. Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of ironic. It's right in front of another CPI and PPI report ne- early next week, then the FOMC meeting on the 21st and 22nd of March. And, and you know, what you were saying that implicitly in that is in the Fed's effort to quell inflation, they're starting to create credit risk in the economy. I mean, that's something that that is more problematic in many ways than whether the inflation rate is 4.2 or 4.1 percent. And man, let me it just can jump. amplify itself. Okay, and let me just jump in and ask you this question. Of course, the Federal Reserve, one of their jobs is this mandate that we talk about, but they also supervise the banks, so they they're in this on both sides. I certainly believe that they're aware of the situation there, the vulnerability that that bank had to you know kind of a drying up of capital in Silicon Valley. We, again, we saw very little M and A new IPO activity last year. So some of these growing startup companies have been thirsting for capital, and they were a lender at, at, at those levels. Uh, the other thing that we need to talk about, too, is, you know, we did have that jobs report right. on Friday, yep. and it was a little better than expected at 311,000, but the unemployment rate did rise from 3.4% to 3.6, and we have seen a slight uptick in jobless claims. So the impact of these Fed measures is starting to have a little bit of an impact on the labor market. And the big story then, of course, was we have this tool that we look at it, what we think the Fed 
Fed is going to do. It's a Fed watch tool. And earlier in the week, it was 75% chance that they were going to raise that by 50 basis points at the next meeting. That precipitously dropped later in the week. Right, down to 30%. And the other point that we keep making is, you know, the two-year note is now yielding 4.61%. So if the Fed does raise that rate by 25 basis points, just as an example, that will be north of where the two-year is. And historically, that is about the time that the Fed begins to think about pausing because, again, we know monetary policy acts with a lag, rate increases act with a lag, and reduction of the balance sheet reduces liquidity, which is something that we saw uh, negatively impact Silicon Valley bank shares. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. Still to come on the show, financial planning in a changing tax world. Yep, that is definitely a big topic. Ask Annex is on the way. And avoiding mistakes with your will. We love the radio, always love it, but sometimes you can only catch it when it's on. If you want it on demand, get the Week in Review this weekend on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. You can get the Week in Review on the Axiom, which is delivered Sunday mornings. And if you don't, Subscribe to that. You should, because it's free. Or Spotify. At the top of the hour, search Annex Wealth Management. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, March 11th. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We are back. also like to say hello to a brand new audience, just in case you didn't change your clocks. Welcome. Uh, This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Connect with us, the Axiom free weekly newsletter. We're on social media like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, quite good with a bunch of videos that we produced. Lots of learning stuff, highly searchable. SWAT podcasts on Monday mornings that strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And again, a reminder, the show available on demand at the top of the hour on Spotify. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano, President and CEO. Thank you, Danny. Of course, you know, a big story is what is happening, not only with the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank, but of course, the Federal Reserve. But you know, the real arbiter has always been the bond market, and it made some big moves this week. Right. I mean, last week, at one point, the uh, 10-year was trading at 4.08%. It's backed off all the way to 3.69. It's a big move. I mentioned that the two-year was down to 4.6, down from over 5% uh, earlier this week. And as you mentioned, the odds of that 50 base point rate hike on March 22nd have diminished dramatically. And perversely, one of the, I guess you, if you're looking for the glasses half full, um, you know, restricted lending by banks, which is of course occurring, that's what also happened at Silicon Valley, uh, really reduces the need for further rate hikes because it does have a way of, of reducing the stimulus in the economy and, and causes demand to drop off and, and credit conditions to tighten. And that's, that's something the Fed has been trying to do. You know, we're hoping obviously this doesn't become a systemic issue. We don't think it will at this point, but it's really hard to step in front of this kind of a freight tan on a Friday because we know housing prices have been weakening. We know real est- the commercial real estate market is somewhat fragile. And we also know that, you know, corporate credit is, you know, has been pretty well received. So interest rates have remained low and, and credit spreads haven't blown out. So that's a good sign that things are not likely to get much worse. Well, let's talk about the jobs report because that is was a concern going in. And there has been revisions after every single jobs report and we still remain skeptical of what we saw earlier in the year. Right. There were some downward revisions to the jobs growth we saw in January, which was a blowout number way above expectations. This report was kind of mixed. You know, the, the wage growth actually slowed a little bit, which is a positive. I did mention the unemployment rate ticked up. So we're all going to be waiting to see what the CPI and PPI bring us early next week. That's going to give us another data point. Jerome Powell alluded to that during his FOMC his uh, testimony before the Senate and the House this week, essentially saying, 
saying they are data dependent, but I am sure what's going on in Silicon Valley got their attention. So data dependent means they are looking backwards, and of course, looking forward is what we do here, and that is really making some educated guesses based on what we see. But there are themes that you can take advantage of in this type of environment. And you don't want to jump in front of the steamroller, but there are still ways to look for quality and profitable companies. Well, absolutely. Even within the financial services sector, there are any number of companies that were taken down on on these reports that really aren't negatively impacted by these events. You know, stock like company like Schwab went down, I think, 10% two days in a row. That seemed to be a bit of an overreaction. You saw companies like Key Corp and Regions Financial, two very high quality regional banks, go down rather sharply too. I heard an analyst from one of our competitors talk about uh, the fundamentals at Key, and he didn't seem particularly concerned, and he's very aware of what's what's going on in their balance sheet. So again, you've got to have a measured perspective. And, and one thing we've been emphasizing all along is to buy profitable businesses, because when you see capital become taken away and liquidity becoming a problem. It's companies that can generate their own free cash flow, pay dividends, buy back shares, and grow their business internally that ought to win in an environment like this. And we talk about, of course, that the market sometimes overreacts in the short term, and it's, what do you say, ready, shoot, aim. So there is certainly a bit of an overreaction, and that's when you have to start looking what is in your portfolio. Do you have some cash on hand? Should you reallocate your portfolio? These are all the questions that you have to ask yourself yourself. And folks, this is what an elite wealth management firm does. It reacts to the facts and circumstances, and it positions your portfolio going forward. Dave, did you see in the uh, Jolts report last week that 6 million people took new jobs? If that's you folks, if you're listening, it's a great time to completely look at your plan. And and if you had a 401k at an old company, now's the time to really grab that as well. Yeah, we can start there and maybe figure out a better plan for you, one built by a fee-only fiduciary for investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, because that's the way we do it. Financial planning in a changing tax world. There are a couple presentations coming to the Milwaukee area on the way. You're going to want to be at this. We're going to talk about that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. It starts with a call. With one call, you can start seeing your future more clearly. If your financial picture is cloudy because you're getting conflicting tax, investment, and estate planning advice, help is a call or a click away. Annex Wealth Management's team works to get your investment plan in line with your tax plan and your estate plan. Build confidence with one team working to create one comprehensive plan as a fee-only fiduciary. Annex Wealth Management. One team, one plan, one fee. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management. She's many things, CFP, CDFA, and a wealth manager at Annex. Welcome back. Hi, Danny. There's probably some things I missed. Folks, sorry to be a wet blanket, but we're in tax season. And to be clear, we're in tax prep season. That is completely different than tax planning season. At the top, Dan, let's explain the difference. What's the difference between tax planning and tax prep? Well, prep happens around, you know, when we have to file our taxes, but planning, well, that would pretty much be all year round. Anytime someone makes any kind of change to income or anything that would impact expenditures where they need to go back and verify sources of income, resources of investments, that would also be tax planning. And I would argue tax planning is one of the most important parts of financial planning when you're in the years leading up to and through retirement. There you go. Nicely put. Let's talk about financial planning 
in a changing tax world because that's where we're at. As you know, tax laws change. It's important to react properly to those changes. Obvious question, why is tax planning so important right now? Well, there actually have been literally hundreds of tax law changes in the past five years or so, starting with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That was enacted in 2018 is when it started. It changed the tax brackets. And then there was a SECURE Act that happened in 2019. And, you know, last year in December, the SECURE Act 2 came out and that clarified and made some further tax law changes, definitely retirement changes. Um, There was also the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, not to mention the CARES Act for coronavirus relief that happened in 2020 and the American Rescue Plan Act in 2021 and even the Inflation Reduction Act last year in August of 2022 dropped in and sneaked in some new tax code changes. So just a few things. (laughs) A few. not far into 2023. Something big happens at the end of 2025. Yeah, so that'll be a fun year for planning because that's when the Tax Cuts and Job Act sunsets and the tax codes, the way we've had them for the past couple of years, revert back to the way they were in 2017. So it brings back, for example, that 15% tax bracket for people. Financial planning in a changing tax world. So let's talk about what has changed. How about Secure Act 2.0? There were some things in there. Right. So Secure Act 2.0 had over 100 different provisional changes into tax code, but one of the biggest was that people going through retirement tend to focus on naturally would be the change in required minimum distribution ages. It has been extended yet again. So the original SECURE Act exchanged the age of those required minimum distributions, also called RMDs, from 70 and a half to 72. It was like a direct little hop. But the SECURE Act 2 last December changed those RMDs potentially from 72 to age 73 or 75, depending upon the year you were born. If you were born previous to 1951, there's no change. But if your birthday is between 1951 and 59, your new RMD age is 73. If you were born in 19 1960 or beyond, your new required minimum distribution age is 75. My head is spinning. So depending on the situation, would call for a different tactic or a different strategy. Another situation might be net unrealized appreciation. Again, different strategy. So in UA, this is called net unrealized appreciation applies to employer stock that's held in your company retirement plan in your name. For example, if your company stock is publicly traded on the stock market and you're holding that stock in your employer-sponsored retirement plan and that stock is highly appreciated, so from where it was put into your plan or you purchased it, it's really gone up in price and third qualifier, if you're eligible to take a lump sum distribution from your plan, there are some tax advantages potentially that you can utilize with this strategy. Financial planning in a changing tax world, Roth conversions can play a part? Yes, they can. A Roth conversion is when you take a distribution from a traditional IRA and you're placing it into the Roth. So you're paying tax on what you take, but you're putting it into a vehicle that was funded with after-tax dollars and it grows completely tax-free and you pull it out completely tax-free. It's a great potential planning tool depending on your goals. Dan, the point is, is tax planning is a year-round discipline, and it's something that we do for our clients at Annex Wealth Management. Oh, absolutely, all day long. And it's particularly important to focus on the tax planning again when you're going to and through retirement.
let's untangle a little bit of this and let's talk about some learning opportunities that are coming up. Yes. So financial planning in a changing tax world is a workshop that we're giving for women and wealth here in our Elm Grove headquarters on Thursday, March the 16th at 6 p.m. You can go right to our website at AnnexWealth.com under the events tab and sign up. It is a complimentary workshop and we're covering a lot of these topics. And that is next Thursday. It is. So grab a friend and come join us. And then we got another one. We do. Financial planning in a changing tax world is being given at our Elm Grove headquarters on Tuesday, March 21st at 6 p.m. This is open to people that are not already engaged with Annex Wealth Management and want to learn about how we take a look at tax advantage planning, again, when you're working toward and through retirement. Registration details, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Events tab. If you want to get going sooner than later, you can always head right to AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, March 11th. Bottom of the hour time for news. And for that, we head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. It's Ask Annex. We are back. Got a question for us? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. If we can help, you click the Get Started button. Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey. Hey. And Matt Morsey, investment team manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Hey, Danny. First question is from Tim. How can I get access to what's said on an earnings call? Yeah, good question, Tim. Uh, easiest way is really just going to the company website. There's probably some apps out there that you could pay for that will bring a lot of them together. But from a free standpoint, if you go directly to their website, they'll have it. Uh, you can also reach out to their investor relations department as well, too, and they'll provide that for you as well as some other information. And lastly, from a reading standpoint, they do publish quarterly and annual paperwork a 10K or a 10Q that will go into a lot of that detail as well, too. That's paperwork that they have to file with the SEC and other regulators that will provide a lot of information. We just went through earnings season and probably a lot of earnings calls. Any idea how many the investment team listened to? Over 100, I would say, you know, when you break it down with the different holdings we have and within client portfolios as well, sometimes just for additional research on potential names that we're looking for going forward. Next question is anonymous. What's the difference between fundamental and technical analysis? Fundamental analysis essentially is trying to come up with a, uh, an intrinsic value or what value you believe the company is worth today. You're generally going to use financial statements to look at the health of the company. You're going to make some assumptions on what the future growth rate of that company is going to be, maybe what the industry is doing, and, and then uh, macro analysis on the economy as well, too. So you're really trying to pinpoint what you think the value of the company is, and then you compare it versus the stock price to decide if it's overvalued or undervalued. Technical analysis is more chart-based, so it's basically more on what the trend of that company is, how it's trading. It doesn't matter what the company is. Are they a healthy company, not a healthy company? It's really just from a charting standpoint. People who are into technical analysis would probably go much, much farther in that explanation because there's lots of different ways to do it. You know, at Annex here, we really try to combine both of them. A lot of times what we're looking at is the fundamental analysis or what the value we believe is from a company standpoint. And if we like the company, we might use some technical analysis indicators to say whether or not it's a good time to buy right now or we might want to hold off. Likewise, if we want to sell too, we might look at the chart as well and see if it's a good time or again to hold off. It's Ask Annex. Next question is anonymous. I have no appetite for individual stocks. What am I missing? 
uh, Matt and I were talking about this. We don't think you're missing anything. Everybody has their own personal preference, and you can get plenty of diversification through mutual funds and low-cost ETFs. Yeah, I think you're spot on. You know, everybody has to make that decision for themselves what they're comfortable with when it comes to investing. So not just what your risk tolerance is, which is how much equities versus fixed income, but how are you going to actually invest within that? Some people really like individual equities and like to see that volatility that they might see within the different positions. Other people are more comfortable with smoothing that out with a mutual fund or ETF. Thing to keep in mind, though, too, is underneath that mutual fund or ETF, you have stocks moving in all different directions all the time, but sometimes it's a little bit easier not to see all of that intertrading. Yeah, and some people like to use those individual stocks also to control taxes and their capital gains. We don't have control over when the mutual fund decides to put out capital gains, but you do in your individual stocks. Next one is anonymous as well. I was recently widowed and have excess life insurance proceeds to invest. Is that considered income? I'll continue to work for another four years at least. Well, generally, life insurance payouts are tax-free, but there are certain situations where they could be taxed. A couple examples would be if the insurer issues the death benefit in installments or if the death benefit becomes part of your state and exceeds the exemption limit. So I would just consult your tax professional just to double-check your certain situation. Next up is from Thomas. Have you seen success with front-loading a financial plan with travel expenses in the first five years, knowing that later traveling might be more of a challenge? I'm no wealth manager, but yes, right? Right. Well, that's what we refer to as the go-go years, the slow-go years, and the no-go years. So at the beginning of your retirement, you're going, you're traveling, you're so excited that you have the time now. and You can go see the world, you can go visit family. Then you start to slow down a little bit because you traveled, you've done things, you know, you don't have as much energy as you used to have. And then the no-go years where you're physically unable to travel. So everybody's situation is different. But the nice thing about our planning software is we have the ability to illustrate all sorts of different scenarios on the fly right in the meeting with our clients. We like to be conservative with our projections. So we initially stress that financial plan and assume our clients are really spending the same amount when they first retire as they do right up into the day they die. But we generally break out that travel expense from the living expenses. And typically, we have that occurring for between 10 to 15 years after retirement. But keep in mind that that money that was earmarked for travel may be replaced with higher medical expenses in the future. And our final question is anonymous. And actually, he says, not a question. Just want to say thanks for the millionaire myths on last week's show. It wasn't easy getting to where I'm at. And everything you said was true. Sarah, it really gets to the whole planning aspect. I mean, we've got some folks that are easily millionaires and they didn't get it handed to them. Mm-hmm. They didn't necessarily you know, come from an Ivy League school. They built businesses. And then at a certain point, they need the financial plan that will carry them through. They've been so busy. I'm sure you know small business owners that just it's blood, sweat, and tears that they're pouring into. Yep, yep. And they, you know, they realize that they need the help. At some point, their life gets a little bit more complex on the financial side, and they seek out a wealth manager, and then we take them to that next step. Yeah, I mean, it's legacy stuff, but it's tax planning stuff if they're going to sell the business as well. So there's a lot that goes into it. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Our website is AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Matt Morsey, CFP and an investment team manager. Thanks. Thank you, Darren. Sarah Kyle, wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. Eight mistakes you want to avoid when it comes to your will. That's next after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. 
Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Jill Martin, a wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Jill. Thanks, Danny. So your role is to work with our clients on their estate planning strategy. It's a dot your I's, cross your T's discipline. Much of it to fulfill legacy issues, but some to avoid a lot of pain and frustration for errors. Going to go over a list of big mistakes with wills, and we probably can skip a discussion on one of them, and that's not having a will at all. Absolutely. I mean, that's rule number one, is that everybody needs one. Doesn't matter how much net worth you have, everybody should still have one as part of their comprehensive plan. But a close cousin of not having one at all is procrastinating. Well, that's a big one, right? And everybody does it. No one wants to think about or contemplate their own death. And so it's really hard to start that conversation sometimes. And there are people that as soon as they think about it, they're stalled and they can't get past it. But at some point in time, we all end up getting there. It's just, when does that happen for each of us? Yeah, it sure does. Here's one that we've spoken of before, mistake with wills, dropping large inheritances in heirs' laps. And I know I can hear a number of people in the audience going, oh, please, just try me. Right. Wouldn't we all love to have the rich Aunt Betty that we didn't know of leave us a million dollars? Sure. But what we're talking about here is really thinking through, are those people capable of handling a large inheritance more so than great that you have it but right when we're talking about minor children or young beneficiaries that aren't established in their life and all of a sudden it's almost like a lottery win and so a large sum of money could all of a sudden be blown really really fast not that we've ever seen a lottery winner blow their money never never right so yeah you got to think about that and if you're going to leave a lot of money to somebody you got to set it up in a proper manner yeah and so that's where a lot of times we people think about using trusts for beneficiaries not we're not talking about living trusts or revocable trusts we're talking about putting the money in trust for the benefit of someone else to help control a financial management distribution control making sure it's used for proper things so it isn't that windfall hey we just won the lottery effect the other part of it is to think through of will that have a substantial impact on the lifestyle or the values of that person Will it really change them? And is that what you want to do if they're not used to having that type of a windfall? How do we want to make sure that their personality doesn't change? Wills are kind of the umbrella. Do trusts sit underneath wills? Yes. So when when we're talking about estate planning, right, wills and revocable trusts are kind of the two core things that we look at all the time. Basically, the difference is, is wills, we end up going through probate to have them administered and settled, whereas with revocable trusts, we don't. And so what we're trying to do is decide, do we want court involvement? And sometimes we do, or don't we? As soon as you said, and sometimes we do, I was about to say, do we? I don't think we do. There are times when a probate proceeding is preferred. There's a time when there's going to be more debts than there are expenses. So the probate administration ends up kind of like a bankruptcy settlement. If we know beneficiaries are going to fight tooth and nail and there's going to be litigation. And sometimes that just can't be avoided. So the court is ultimately the referee and the decider. So then everyone gets their quote unquote day in court. They're the adult in the room. Yes. Joe Martin, a wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management, talking about mistakes with wills. So my wife and I did a will over 15 years ago. Our boys were in middle school. It has not been updated. Skipping regular updates. That's a mistake, isn't it? I don't 
that it's a mistake, but it's something that maybe an update isn't needed, but you should dust it off and take a look at it. What I tell people is every three to five years, pull that thing out and make sure it's still what you expect it to be and what you understand it to be. That's where a lot of times people do something and they forget what it says. So that's where I come into play for our clients here at Annex is to, hey, let's dust that off. Is this what you remember it being? And if not, hey, let's refresh your memory and make sure that this is what you want. Or if it's not, then we need to make updates big part of that is the people that you name in there to be those executors, trustees, powers of attorney. Are those still the people that you want? There you go, right there. We mention this often, but it still happens. Mismatching beneficiaries. Happens all the time. And so what happens is, is if your estate plan says, I leave everything to my three kids, but the beneficiary designation on that long lost life insurance policy or that old 401k for some reason only names two of those kids. We've unintentionally disinherited that third because we forgot to update things. Mm. And so we really want to make sure as part of that plan, once you get the documents done as part of that estate plan, you got to go double, triple check every asset, every account to make sure it's going to follow that plan. And our final point, and I guess we should just use the word transparency. It really helps, especially when you want to head off conflicts. Yeah, so transparency, aka communication, making sure that everyone knows what's going on, right? You never want to have unexpected things happening for your heirs because they may have a preconceived notion about what they are going to inherit. And if all of a sudden you haven't done anything to combat that or to tell them, no, this is how it's going to be, that's where things head towards litigation or conflict. Or a lot of times estate plans can break the family apart, never to have people talk to each other again. And the last thing you want to do is have a legacy where you've broken your family as part of it as an unintended consequence for lacking communication. And that happens and we'd like to prevent that. It's complex and we're ready to help. Jill Martin, Wealth Strategist, Estate Planning Attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Saturday the 11th, we're going to take a quick break and be back to wrap things up. Stick around. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. We're back. Quick reminder, this show, the entire show, is going to be available on demand anytime you want. It's going to be at the top of the hour on Spotify, but maybe throughout the week, if you didn't hear the whole thing and want to go back and hear it, that would be great again just go to Spotify and search Annex Wealth Management. In the studio, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. You know, when I talk about elite wealth management firms, there is a difference. And to know the difference really means there's two sides. There's one, of course, which is the planning side. Who is doing the planning? On our team, we have estate planning lawyers, we have CPAs, we have MBAs, CFAs, and the like, and that is one half of it. That is the planning side. The other side, of course, is the investment side, and that's why we spend a lot of time on this show talking about strategies and themes. And, you know, you think about from 30,000 feet the fact that we are having an aging population, and, of course, health care remains at the top of the mind. Right. I mean, we've had it tactical exposure to healthcare really since I've been with Annex, which is over 10 years. And and the reason is pretty simple. The, the U.S. healthcare industry leads in innovation. It's a counter-cyclical uh, group in the sense that it's defensive. They tend to produce earnings in good times and bad. And, and finally, the valuations there are very attractive. And so, you know, it, it ha- offers those defensive characteristics that you like in a slowing economy, but you also have to be selective. You know, some companies like these, you know, managed care companies are poised to save taxpayers' billions and billions of dollars through their arrangements with the federal government.
government. Then some of the pharmaceutical companies, you know, innovative therapies, uh, the ability to scale and, and terrific uh, sales forces. So healthcare has been a theme for us for a long period of time. And the other one uh, that remains a, a strong theme of ours is energy. We do believe there's been underinvestment in energy. We believe that as, as China reopens and the global economy starts to get up back on its feet, perhaps in 2024, uh, that energy demand will rise and the transition to green energy will take longer than many would like to think. And you think about, for example, supply and demand. Supply is shrinking not only here in the United States, but we see what is happening in Russia as well, and that is part of the equation. Right. And, and again, these are companies that generate tremendous free cash flow, pay dividends or buying back shares, have rationalized. They're not, you know, it's not the boom and bust sector that it used to be where it was really beholden to the economy to generate profits. They, they generally have done a very good job of uh, managing costs. And in addition, they are making investments in green energy as well. Some of the oil companies like ExxonMobil have, have spent billions of dollars on green energy. Yeah, no question. And the last thing I want to just touch on is, you know, you can't get away from watching all of this geopolitical tension, not only, of course, in Russia and Ukraine, but also with China. That doesn't seem to get uh, be getting better right now. So there's two terms that I want people to, to realize, deglobalization and nearshoring. Right. I mean, deglobalization is, is the understanding of the part of the United States and, and the Western world, really, that you have to diversify your supply sources, because in the event that there's a bad relationship, say, with the Chinese, that can make it difficult to get the products and, and ingredients that you need. And then nearshoring is another reaction to that. It's building semiconductor companies in Arizona or Nashville, Tennessee, and, and manufacturing the ingredients that go into Tylenol and the rest. That's, that's one way of playing defense in an uncertain geopolitical world. And so, folks, this is the reason why we talk about being an elite wealth management firm, going through and making sure that you are making the adjustments to a portfolio. This is not set it and forget it or slam it into a fixed annuity type. This is really going through the process and making sure that your financial plan is being helped along by true professionals. And number two, that your portfolio is making the adjustments that it needs to make. You know, Dave, I've often said that there's so much that we impart on this show that we quote, give away yeah, for free. We do. Yeah. But I'll tell you, folks, there's so much that you don't see if you're not a client of Annex Wealth Management. It's the way we work together. It's when you have a question that you can get the answer, that we're looking ahead instead of having to maybe react to something. Uh, you know, what lot, is it? A lot of moving parts. Lot, oh, so many moving parts. And really, the team that is ready to do that, what we do is investment and retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. That's a phrase I say all the time, but each of those four departments are stacked with very smart people. And when you're a client of Annex Wealth Management, they're working for you. They're working for you via the wealth manager. It all starts in a simple exchange of information. You head to our website, you click the Get Started button. That doesn't activate anything. It just starts the conversation. If your plan is on track to handle threats from inflation and volatile markets, great. Is your plan on track to take advantage of opportunities that are bound to present themselves? Raise the confidence. Put Annex on your side. Have a great week. See you next Saturday, 10 o'clock. Hope you can join us then. If not, find us on Spotify. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 W. TMJ.